Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So, let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that us meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around consciousness, spirituality, psychology, and philosophy, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hey Biscuits, welcome back to the podcast, and our guest today is my friend-tor, because I love word combos, Laura Long. Laura is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Greenville or outside of Greenville, South Carolina. And no, we're not just going to have therapists on the show, though we are pretty fucking interesting. Just kidding, everyone's interesting. But I do have a lot of therapist friends, um, and you know, usually they're willing to talk about some pretty deep shit. So Laura's here today to get into all kinds of interesting topics with us. And I'll also tell you that how I know Laura is in addition to being a therapist, she also coaches other therapists into how to really be able to speak to the kind of people that they want to work with. And she's really, really good at that. If you, Even if you're not a therapist, if you were to check out her website, lauralongtherapy.com, you would probably want to be like, wow, I wish I lived in Greenville so I could go see her because she's just incredible. So um, that's called Your Badass Therapy Practice. And um, it's been a really a gift to me, mostly from the relationships that I have made and some of the awesome things that I have challenged myself to do, like making this ridiculous podcast um, that I hope that you enjoy. So without further ado, um, let's get into the show so that I can get on the road and head to the Smokies. Hope you all have a lovely day wherever this podcast finds you. Thank you for listening. And also remember that if you like the show, please share it. Please review it on iTunes so more people can find it. And let's get into it. What's up, Laura? Hey, how are you, Valerie? I'm pretty good. It's like early here. It's before 9 a.m. Central Time, so I don't really fully wake up. So we're going to see how it goes with my coffee here. Yeah, that's fine. I'm on about cup cup three, so this might be a really interesting conversation. (laughs) It might be. It might be, but we forgot to spike our coffees, so. I know. We'll see. Sad day. (laughs) Um, So I'm really excited to see how this conversation goes because... (laughs) We were kind of talking about how your normal interviews are about things like systems and marketing and copywriting and all that stuff. So I'm just curious how it feels for you to be here and thinking about like what we might get into. I definitely feel a little outside my element, not going to lie, <laughs> a little nervous, but I trust you and I'm keeping all of my clothes on. Yeah. So I'm letting you know that that is my boundary. <laughs> Trusting you <laughs> is your first mistake. <laughs> so no, I'm excited. Whatever comes out was meant to come out, right? Absolutely. And one of the reasons why I thought you would be such a great person to bring on to this show is even though, like, yes, we will be getting into some therapy-related stuff, um, that's not necessarily what the show is all about, and yet there's something that you bring into the therapy universe that you have gone and shared with other therapists and encouraged them 
which is to really fully own yourself and to not water yourself down, to not be apologetic about who you are, and that if that turns off some people, well, that's fine. They're not your people anyway. So Amen. I just kind of, yeah, I mean, I'm <laughs> curious, like, where that came from for you, if that's sort of always been the way that you are, if there are certain people or things from your history where that sort of stems from. Man, that's a great question. I haven't really peeled back that onion layer in a long time. Um, I, I think that it probably, although it may not seem like it on the outside, I think that who I am now is actually a much more refined version of who you may, who you may have gotten about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember being, I don't know, like a teenager, but I, I thought I was more mature than I was. I was definitely more introspective than my peers, but I remember being just like an asshole and I would be like, (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. And if you have a problem with that, then that's actually your problem. But I think there's a difference between being honest and having like being honest and an asshole and being honest and having some tact with it. Right. So, um, I mean, I wasn't an asshole like a hundred percent of the time, Yeah. but, um, I, it's, it's a weird juxtaposition, Valerie, because I do care very much what people think. It's just, I only care what like five people think. (laughs) I love and, that. So if you're in that group of like five to six people, I very much care what you think. And I want to, I want to make you happy. And I want to, like, I, I have this deep fear of disappointing people. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have a, a mutual friend, Emily, if I can shout her out really quick. Yeah. But we talk about this sometimes where it's like this weird, um, where I really... I'm unapologetic about 99% of the shit that falls out of my face, but that 1% is actually there and it's very strong where, you know, I, I try to not purposefully like hurt people. (laughs) I just, I just have an opinion and I know that that's all it is. And I have no problem sharing that with people and those who agree with it we love each other those who don't agree with it we can have a great conversation and those who are assholes to me don't matter because they're not my five people right yeah i love that and and i think that's a much more realistic and honest way of talking about it because any of the messages around like just don't care what people think it's like mm-hmm. okay that that must be nice to be a robot like I don't know how you actually achieve that or why you would want to achieve that but being able to sort of take that Brene Brown approach of like figure out who's in the cheap seats where you can sort of detach yourself from their feedback and understand that what they are their feedback is more a reflection on them and their worldview Mm-hmm. And, the, and what they prefer and the way they see things. And if you care about that, if there are people who are important to you, then yeah, that might inform what you do or don't do. But if they're just fucking random people, then their opinion, it's, you know, divesting their opinion is really important. Yeah, I think it probably came from a lot of different sources over a period of time. Like um, I have a student... Uh, named Jennifer Padilla Berger. She has a podcast called uh, Chai Talk and her website is Nice Girl Uprising. So she helps women who identify themselves as nice girls, as people pleasers. She helps them really learn how to be 
more firm and brave, but also kind because that's who they are deep down. Right. And she talks about this concept of like picking a handful of people who are your people who you actually give a shit about Mm -hmm. and just write their names on a tiny little piece of paper, like a half inch by half inch square and carry that around with you in your wallet. It's like whenever you're faced with some sort of criticism on who you are or a decision you made, check out that list. And if that person giving you the criticism is not on that list, then you just like flick it away like a little fucking gremlin. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I'll have to check out her podcast. That sounds really awesome. Yeah. I think just seeing other people model that too. Mm -hmm. Other people like, okay, so, you know, you have the Brené Brown who's like, okay, just model vulnerability, letting your true self out. Right. And then there's more of the, like Ramit Sethi is a huge, uh, I really look up to him and he's more on like the asshole spectrum. (laughs) Yeah, he is, but I like him too. (laughs) Um, but he also delivers really valuable shit. So Mm -hmm. He's not just like mean or hateful or anything like right. that. He just kind of tells it like it is. And his tribe is so engaged with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I created Your Badass Therapy Practice, that's what I wanted to do too. Like I wanted my tribe of people, um, people who I call them the closet cussing therapists. It's like <laughs> We really just hey. need to come out of the closet. Already. Yeah, just come on out. Let that F-bomb out. It feels really good. And clearly you have inspired me to do that because (laughs) the name of the show is What's the Fucking Point? (laughs) Which is the best title ever, Valerie. (laughs) So um, that takes me to one of the things that we were kind of referring to before we started talking. um, That, yes, you come from this place of being unapologetic and, and feeling like cussing is not a bad thing and you're also you identify as christian and so Mm -hmm. some people might look at those things and be like what like that that doesn't go together that doesn't make any sense i would love to just hear you (laughs) talk about that interesting sort of juxtaposition i think well and you and i are both in the south so when you were talking just now about that juxtaposition the first like thought that came into my head was people probably think dad gum that gum so I was telling you that I love Jesus I love cussing and I love drinking <laughs> and I think that all three can go hand in hand uh, so it is an interesting juxtaposition I'll tell you that um, and I think that goes back to so like the root of my faith is don't be an asshole I feel like if I just, if I love people and if I try to be helpful to people, regardless of who they are or how they identify, that to me is the core of what Christianity is. It's just that people get involved in different religions and fuck it up. That's what I think. Amen. (laughs) I mean, you're taking what's the most important part because don't be an asshole is what would Jesus do, right? And yeah. So Jesus probably wouldn't give a shit about whether you use the F word or not. Like, he's just like, are you actually going to be the Good Samaritan or the person who's going to help those who others are going to look down on as lesser? Right. So I like if you if you get drunk and drive your car and like hit someone and kill a family, like that's probably not the Christian way. Uh, So I don't do that. But like, I think I can have a glass of wine 
or a glass of wine and a beer at the same time and (laughs) still be a good person. Um, I know there's a lot of Christians right now who are like clawing their eyeballs out hearing me say this, but well, spoiler alert, I don't think they're listening to this podcast. (laughs) Spoiler alert. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Do you remember that, um, that lady who was like viral on Ellen like 10 years ago, she was actually from my, my former town, Austin, Texas, (laughs) and her name was Gladys. Do you remember her? No, I don't remember. Oh my God. I'm going to send you the YouTube video because she was, and this was like early on when with like viral being a thing. And so Ellen had this like caller. I don't even remember how it all transpired, but Gladys like called into the show to just basically express her love of the show. And she's this like very old woman in Texas. And the, the quote that sort of stands out is, I love Jesus, but I drink a little. <laughs> I remember that quote. Yeah. Because it was like plastered all over the internet. <laughs> yeah. So that was a Gladys original. And I think she became a recurring guest. And <laughs> we all need a little Gladys in our life. Yes, that's my goal. Well, I um, I was born and raised Catholic up in Long Island, nice. New York. I don't hear it. Long Island. I worked very hard to, to get that <laughs> out of my system. Um, and so the way I was raised is we go to church every single Sunday and we dress in our Sunday best and then we get home and all hell breaks loose. Nice. (laughs) Um, nothing, nothing too crazy. Like there was no abuse or, or, um, like alcohol abuse or there was nothing like that. It was just like, there was a different family in church than who was outside of church. And that always bothered me. Mm-hmm. And then growing up, as, let's see, like, so we moved down to South Carolina when I was maybe 11 and then seeing the culture shock. So like in the North, when someone drives down the road in your neighborhood, you don't wave at them. Like, I don't know who you are, <laughs> but you come down South. I don't know if this is the case where you live in Nashville, but down here, if you, so I'm in South Carolina for those of you who listen are listening and don't know me. Um, and so when I first moved down here at 11, my mom would be driving us through the neighborhood and people would just kind of wave. And I was like, mom, do you know that? Per- do you, what, what's going on? <laughs> and so that was like the first time I got, uh, I don't know, like true culture shock of people are one way in one environment and a totally different way in another environment. And then, so being a teenager who has a very keen sense of justice, (laughs) it it just always bothered me that people are one way here, one way over there and a third way in this third place. So I was like, okay, we need to nip that in the bud. And like I said, in the beginning of this episode, I didn't do a very good job of that at first because I just turned that into like, I'm just going to say whatever I want. And if it hurts your feelings, so be it. Right. Which is not the Christian way. So uh, I think with maturity now, I say fuck, but I don't say fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Love that distinction. Well, and that's, yeah, that was probably a necessary part of your growing into that and definitely resonate with that idea of sniffing out the bullshit, meaning like we Mm -hmm. feeling that incongruence. And, and that just does not feel good. And so I think the maturing process with it is figuring out, like, how do I show up as the same person 
while being sensitive to the context that I'm in and not, but not using that context as a reason or excuse to be fake or be a different person in these different contexts. I could not have said that better myself (laughs) about myself. That is exactly (laughs) what I strive to do. Yeah. 100%. Awesome. So the other thing I was thinking about when you mentioned being Christian, have you watched Silicon Valley? No. Oh, that's another one that is so freaking hilarious. You're you're really, I'm like, oh man, I am at, I am so not in touch with like pop culture, I think. <laughs> I'm really not either. Like it's very spotty for me. I just so happened, like I think my husband had been watching it and I love Kumail Nanjiani, who's one of the main characters in the show. He's He's got a, a, um, a stand-up set that's on available on Spotify. And if you don't know him and you enjoy comedy, it is really worth listening to. So I was like, okay, I'll, I, I don't watch most of the shows that everyone talks about, but I'll watch this show. It's like 25 minutes long. And so now it's like, I think just finished the fifth season. So there was an episode in this past season where, so it's it's obviously based in Silicon Valley. It's all like startup culture. And um, basically one of the guests that was coming on, like one of these businesses that was going to come and launch on their platform, they found out that the guy was Christian. And when the other people found out that he was Christian, it was it was like it did such a good job of like drawing the parallels between what it would what it would be like to say come out as a a gay person in mm-hmm. the South in like the 80s is what it's like to come out as a Christian now in Silicon Valley. Like, don't wow. tell people that. It's, which obviously <laughs> it was a little bit of a caricature of that, but it was just hilarious. Yeah. I was even just thinking, when I was telling you that story about just being a teenager and feeling that incongruency around me, I it just dawned on me that my senior yearbook quote was actually that Dr. Seuss quote about like be who you are and say what you feel. Those who mind don't matter and those, and those who matter don't mind. Mm-hmm. Like that was actually my senior quote. So just to give you a glimpse yeah. into how aware I was that authenticity was the key. <laughs> right, that you were already evolving into that at that mm-hmm. point. Right. Cool. I just thought about that. Holla. So speaking of kind of media and culture stuff, one of the questions that I asked you before was about, like, are there any stories that kind of connect you with whatever you find to be meaningful? And you said a movie that was also one of my favorite movies, <laughs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, so just curious, and gosh, I should have gone back and rewatched it because it's so good and it's been oh, it is so good. years since I've seen it. But yeah, just what comes to mind when you think about that movie? That movie to me has so many layers to it that it's like every time I watch it, I catch something else. So there's that. It's it's in no way boring. Mm-hmm. I just I always find something new with it. Um, so another thing that has always been on the forefront for me has been the importance of relationships, whether they're romantic or not. But just always being very curious about how relationships developed and ended, and what made a relationship work versus not. So when I watched Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind for the first time, I was like, oh, it's just kind of like a love story. 
But then it's got this weird thing where they're going back in time and looking through all their memories together and erasing them. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, so what would happen if you could do that, right? So you're kind of like playing out in your mind, if I had this relationship that didn't work out and I erased every memory of them, like what would be left? So it was, it was almost like this existential question, I guess, of like, if we remove the relationships, the important ones, whether they were healthy, unhealthy, whatever the case is, like if we remove those from our person, like who, what would be left? I don't know. It yeah. asked it like I asked so many questions of myself after watching that. It kind of like blew my mind. Um, and of course, I had my husband watch it, and he was like, "This is kind of stupid." Like. <laughs> He's an engineer, by the way, so I have all the feelings, and he has none. So he's watching it, and he's like, "That's that's dumb. Like, that's why would funny. he why would he date this girl with blue hair?" And it's like you're missing the fucking point, right? Which is the name of this podcast. <laughs> cool. um, but yeah. yeah, so just the going back in time, the the erasing of the memories, and the effects that that have has on a person, and then the fact that they like met back up. I obviously won't give away any of the ending, but like meeting back up unexpectedly and not realizing who each other were. That was just so fascinating to me. Yeah, totally. What and about, what about that movie for you? Like what, what made it so interesting to you? Cause it, you may have had a completely different take on it. Yeah. Well, I really like any, any movies that kind of, that are sort of set in the real world, but they play with some element of reality, like, like time or um, memory or, any of that. So movies like um, this one, obviously, being John Malkovich, Sliding Doors, a bunch, I Heart Huckabees, a bunch of other ones that mm-hmm. I won't think about right now. But um, I like Big Fish. It's kind of like yeah. a similar concept. So it has, it's like, it's still reality, but it's totally playing on something that is not reality. But it's not so far like sci fi that yeah. everything in the movie is unrealistic. It's just like it has this tiny little element of like, what if we played with that? Like you were saying, what if we played with the element of time and could go backwards? Like yeah. what what would our reality be like? Especially because, and you were kind of saying this, like we, I think we sometimes when things are hard, we think like, oh, God, I just wish I could do X, Y, Z. I wish I could just have made that never happen. Or I wish I could just forget about this person and yeah, while it would erase the pain or lessen the pain, like who would you be without that? And it's sort of that classic Tennyson of "'Tis better to have loved than lost and mm-hmm. lost than to have never loved at all." Yeah, my favorite part, well, I don't want to just say one because I probably have multiple favorite parts of that movie, but maybe the most touching part was towards the end of the evening when they're erasing. So they're going backwards in time such that towards the end of the movie, you're actually seeing the couple's beginning memories. So these are like the memories that led them to fall in love. So you've already moved past and erased all of the most recent horrible fights and cursing at each other. And now you're at the the crux of where they actually decided to be in a relationship. So these memories are very positive. And so that the most poignant part of that movie for me was when he recognizes that that memory is about to be deleted Mm. and he just says please let me keep this one memory and I was like oh my gosh how like that would be us if we went back through even our most difficult relationship and 
actually played it through in backwards fashion, we would all say the same thing because that first memory is the thing that made you fall in love with them or that second memory or that something in the beginning is what changed your heart to warm up towards that person. So I don't know, that was just like a really touching part for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, it also made me think about, as I was thinking about this movie on the way in this morning, on my drive, I it reminded me of, and this is going to be so emo right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's this, do it. Um, lyric from my favorite Death Cab for Cutie song, um, which is called What Sarah Said. And the lyric says, it's stung like a violent wind that our memories depend on a faulty camera in our minds. And I knew that you were a truth I would rather lose than to have never lain beside it all. Wow. That's deep shit, Valerie. Yeah. It's like in the fucking ICU. Like it is, you will listen to this song and if you don't weep, you might not have a soul. (laughs) So there's the litmus test. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I just, I love sci-fi in general, but, but yeah, these, these kind of stories that give us the opportunity to just, just tweak this one little aspect of reality and like how, yeah, some of that would still be pretty cool. Not going to lie. I would like to be able to fly or whatever, or have, <laughs> have some kind of superpower, but also our flawed existence is pretty magical too. 100%. Well, I'm glad we have that connection in that movie because I, I almost hesitate when people ask me about my favorite movie because I get one of two responses. I either get, wow, that movie was boring or stupid or I didn't like it, or I get, what? What movie is that? And then I have to have that exaggerated response of like, you don't know Eternal Sunshine of the Mind. What the hell's the matter with you? And then I'm like, oh, wait, I'm a Christian. I got to be nice. Okay, <laughs> let's watch that movie sometime. <laughs> yeah. I still kind of want to be Clementine. Like I just want to go and get some manic panic hair dye. And <laughs> it's kind of like how we all go through that. Or at least I think a lot of people of our generation kind of went through that phase where we all wanted to be Natalie Portman in Garden State. I did 100%. <laughs> Look how I was like, how can I, I be her? <laughs> I'm yeah. so interesting. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so I don't know. That feels like to me a good segue to this thing that you said, which you probably won't remember that you said in, in <laughs> awesome. the little interview questions that I sent you. Um, so in talking about like, has there been what kind of sight within nature has really been um, jaw droppingly beautiful or just it, what kind of natural experience connects you to a sense of awe and wonder? And I'll let you talk about Um, the Mount Rainier thing, but the sentence that stuck out to me or the little snippet that stuck out to me was, you said, it makes me feel tiny and insignificant. And yet in the context of what you, of how you wrote it, like that was a good thing. So I'm so intrigued by that idea of how, if we're in the right sort of space, feeling tiny and insignificant is actually a pretty amazing thing. Man, you really picked up on like some of, you're a good therapist. (laughs) (laughs) You picked on like the subtleties of what I maybe didn't even realize what I was saying. But I do remember answering that because when you said awe and wonder, I was like, 
I don't experience on wonder very much. And what does that say about me? <laughs> so then I had to go back and think, okay, so what things have I seen in nature that have made me just be like, oh my God, it's like, yeah, like a waterfall here and there have made me feel like that. Like there are certain enormous trees mm -hmm. that I'm like, holy shit, that thing is so big. Um, but then I remember there was a year where my husband and I lived literally on top of a mountain in the Great Smokies in North Carolina. Yeah. And so my drive to and from work every single day was the Great Smoky Mountain Expressway. If, if you all have not driven on that thing, you, that must be added to your bucket list. But you're driving through this beautiful road that's very well paved and smooth. And on either side of you, as far as you can see, it's just endless mountains. Mm -hmm. And some of them are right up next to you. And depending on where you are on the expressway, sometimes it's just this like long range. They may be hundreds of miles away. Uh, sometimes they're snow capped. Sometimes they're not. And it is literally the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But in terms of being insignificant and that being a positive thing, maybe now I'm, I'm thinking about this out loud. So I haven't even processed this with my therapist yet, <laughs> but maybe it's like we have a tendency to take our lives so seriously. And I'm a planner. I'm a type A planner, mm -hmm. pretty anxious half the time at least. I so I live my life by this, like, okay, what am I doing today? What's on the agenda? I need to get this, this, and this done. I have to plan out this. I've got this coming up. And if one little thing gets messed up in my day, sometimes I have a meltdown like a toddler. Like, ah, <laughs> oh, this didn't work out. Like the dumbest shit. Can I tell you the, the, the dumbest shit that I melted down about yesterday? Please. I ordered a glass marker board for a new therapy office that I'm renting and I was very clear that I wanted it to be a glass marker board that you can see through don't yeah. know why I cared so fucking much <laughs> it's classy it's, <laughs> it is it's classy as fuck right <laughs> so I open this box up and I see that it's frosted glass and what? I have meltdown because it's cloudy because it wasn't <laughs> clear glass and it was uh. and I was like I mean, my, my poor husband was like, just return it. I'm like, I can't return it because this is the clearest one that I found online. I went to like four <laughs> different sites and this was the one that said it was clear and it's not. And like, it hit me. What does it fucking matter? Right. First world problem. Yeah. First of all, um, there are people who have like, can't even feed their families and I'm bitching and moaning about a glass marker board. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, so bringing it back to the insignificance, I think sometimes, at least for me, when I see these beautiful landscapes and these enormous mountains, I'm like, oh, like whether or not my glass marker board is clear really doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it just helps give me perspective on how some of the things that I think in the moment or from moment to moment are so important mm -hmm. and a big deal really aren't. And it almost frees me. Yeah. I think that perspective is one of those things where it's like, like if I could have like a couple of jars in my office, if I could have like a little jar of self-worth and a little jar of perspective and just be like, here, take this, mm -hmm. um, I would be a bajillionaire. <laughs> those are, those are like the two things, like being able as I always say, like everyone, everyone's already 100 percent 
intrinsically valuable and worthy. It's our ability to perceive that worthiness that's the problem. Mm -hmm. And so there's that, which is already a perspective problem. So I guess we really only need the one jar of perspective. Yeah. Um, And I get it that too, that it's not like people are just like stubborn and refuse to see it. It's because of the things that have happened at some point it, it, there's this strange blend of, yeah, you need to have the opportunity to be guided through some healing, but then also you have to make a decision that you, like you have to decide to be willing to be wrong about yourself in order to have an opportunity to change that. But so it's all perspective. Yeah. And so I think that's what the mountains do for me is it gives me that perspective. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I wonder too, this is just, again, thinking out loud, but like, I wonder if a part of what makes that a, a positive experience as opposed to like, wow, I guess I just look at these mountains like I'm so insignificant. I'm like a fucking ant. What's even the point of my existence? I wonder if the difference is something related to feeling somehow connected to it, like feeling like these mountains are are here and they're they're sort of living in their own way. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm connected to that. I'm a part of this sort of interdependent web of things that are alive. And I don't know if that's accurate for you at all, but I'm just thinking like, what is that X factor that sort of shifts it from feeling like hopeless and like a little ant to like, wow, okay, like this helps me to put shit in perspective. So I think it's probably three things. One, exactly what you said feeling this like interdependent connection with the mountains. I think there's also an element of feeling connected to other people, which I know we may get to, because that was one of the questions that you had asked before the interview. But I think feeling that connection with others, and then ultimately it does go back to my Christian roots. So feeling connection to God. So my belief is that God made those mountains for me. So as insignificant as I may feel next to them, they were actually a gift for me. Mm -hmm. So they're meant for me to enjoy. Um, So yeah, that boils back down to my own religious beliefs, I guess, because when I look at the mountains and I'm like in awe and wonder, it's really awe and wonder of my God's beautiful, like manifestation of this, like how he created all of that. And he created it for me to enjoy. That's my own maybe potentially narcissistic view of why the mountains are there. (laughs) Well, I love the way that you said that, actually, because I know in you saying that, that you're not saying, like, he made them for me and specifically only for me. (laughs) Like, you're saying he made them for me and he made them for you and he made them for you and he made them for the person, you know, five countries away, whatever. Like, they're all equally for us. and. And this is just like me making my sidebar disclaimers. Um, I I have, as a person who I guess doesn't identify as a Christian, my issue primarily is not with the idea of God because I think we're all talking about the same fucking thing. We just give it a different name. Yeah. But the gender stuff with it. So mm-hmm. and it's like she doesn't necessarily feel any more appropriate than he, which is, I guess, why I tend to use words like the universe. Um, but 100%, I think that the idea that, that that's this, you can't look at a, at a mountain or a mountain range and and deny that there's something like majestic about that. And so yeah. the idea that that was created and 
and that we have the capacity to experience wonder and awe in seeing that, um, I think speaks to what you're saying, like, oh, here you go. These are, this is something Mm -hmm. beautiful for you to, to enjoy and to live with. So, yeah, well, and even if you only believe that mountains are just like the tectonic plates or whatever, that, that just like mush together over millions of years to form these things, isn't that fucking amazing? Yeah. That like, parts of our world clash together over millions of years to create these enormous mountain ranges that also happen to be beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Like a scientific perspective of whether it's creation or any of this stuff, like isn't necessarily less magical. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Some deep shit going on over yeah, here. Yeah, it is. So- I feel like I need a joint. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to be sitting in like a blacklit room. That should be, <laughs> that should be a, a future criteria for interview guests. Like, do you have a blacklight that you can turn on while we're speaking? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you mentioned connection with people, too. So I would love for you to just talk about that and sort of how how that fits into the big picture of what you find meaningful in your life. Oh, well, you know, I am a marriage and family therapist. So not only am I, am I just a therapist, but I'm one who specializes in relationships. Mm -hmm. So this shit has been steeping in me all my life. (laughs) This uh, yearning to want to know how relationships work and how to make something like a marriage or a partnership last 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I wish I could tell you exactly why or how it came to be that I developed this fascination with them. I can tell you that as early as second or third grade, I was writing these like poems about life and love and, you know, like with the boyfriend I had for five minutes, like, <laughs> writing love letters that I never sent, um, listening to, now here's something I'm going to give away my age on this one, but I finally got a TV in my room when I was in third grade. I think I was eight. You lucky bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And I would just put on either MTV or VH1, whichever one was actually playing music. Now into the nineties, MTV really just got super shitty. So it ended up just being like, pop-up video on VH1 or something. (laughs) But it was just like constant Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, these like emotional ballads about love and relationships. And I just ate that shit up. So I don't know. It must have been like nature and nurture. I must have been born with some sort of innate desire to learn more about how relationships work. I honestly don't know where it came from, but I just know my whole life I've really just been fascinated by how relationships work. Like how did we, how do either romantic or not, but just like how do two people come together as different as they are and create something that is not tangible, but felt so deeply by both of them. Yeah. And then it's also really interesting how, that's clearly so innate within us. Like not only the the biologically and um, evolutionarily innate aspect of parenting, like, you know, that a parent is wired to connect with and attach to their child, um, assuming things are, are, are operating mm-hmm. correctly, which they're often not. 
um, with our environmental stuff and our, our illnesses that may or may not actually be addressed. But, mm-hmm. but like making friendship connections and falling in love, like these things are so natural and organic and, or, and innate. And yet there's also so much of this that we have to learn. I like the way that, um, are you familiar with Dave Rico's work? I'm not. Okay. Here's a third thing I don't yes, know. <laughs> dude, he has a book called How to Be an Adult in Relationships. I think you'd probably really like it. And um, he... I think I'd probably pee my pants read it, <laughs> actually. Yeah, it's really good. And he has these audio lecture series on his website, too. His, I mean, he's just got a great personality. But um, shit, what was I even going to mention about? We were just... Oh, so I like the way that he talks about how it's sort of like swimming. Like we all have the ability to do that, but we have to learn. We can't, we're not just going to be thrown in the water and figure it out well. We might like figure it out enough to like stay afloat and alive for a minute, but we, we have the innate capacity, but we have to learn the skills and how relationships are similar. And I don't know if you would agree or disagree with that, but it's just, a, it, again, an interesting juxtaposition of, yes, it's so innate, and but also if you don't invest the time in learning how to self-reflect and in learning how to communicate better and, and, and engage better with somebody who may have a very different set of beliefs and worldview and all of that than you do, you're probably not going to be very successful with it. I, I actually completely agree with you because I can't tell you how many couples I see who tell me that love or marriage or these long-term relationships, quote, should be easy. Like it should be easy because it's such an ornate or ornate. Um, what was the word you used? Innate. Innate. Mm-hmm. Such like an org- I was trying to combine ornate, <laughs> organic <laughs> and innate. Yeah. So it became ornate. Um, <laughs> it's, it's such a natural thing. Why is it so hard? does that mean that our relationship should not continue? Should we not be in a relationship if love is this hard? Right. And so I, I often find myself having to like nip that in the bud and yeah. be like, so when exactly did you take a class on this or learn how to do this? <laughs> or like you're just having, this is all trial and error for all of us. And depending on the quality of your relationships early on, that's absolutely going to, going to affect how you relate to people into adulthood. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you can't unlearn bad shit. That's what I'm for. Right. <laughs> but yeah, just because it's organic or innate or ornate, um, <laughs> doesn't mean that it's easy. And I think that's why I'm so fascinated by relationships because it's like, okay, so me, I believe as a, as a woman, I am pretty interdependent and I want to work in collaboration with other people in relationships. Mm -hmm. So why do they get so fucked up sometimes? Mm -hmm. Right. I want to know. And so (laughs) what I do for a living, which is great. I get paid to do my own research. Love it. And you decided that doing that with people like one-on-one or with a couple in your office wasn't enough and that you wanted to relate with people in an even bigger way. So I'm curious about like how it feeds you differently in doing the work that you do with therapists, which is sort of like long distance, like we've never met face-to-face, but um, how that feeds you in a different way and yet still is a part of how you experience connection. 
That is awesome that you drew that parallel because that's ultimately why I created your badass therapy practice to begin with. It's like connecting with people who I don't even know on a much broader scale. Now, <clears throat> full disclaimer, I I had no idea that I would actually form the kinds of connections with these therapists that I have. Um, it's not that I was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to create stuff and people will like it and buy it and that's the end of it. But I just truly didn't know. Of course, looking back, I'm like, you idiot, Laura, of course you knew that like you were going to get involved with these people and they were going to be considered friends and you would chat. And anyway, like, I guess I had mistakenly created this thing, believing that just helping people with the business side of their lives would just keep it like surface level. Mm -hmm. Like I, and of course, like hindsight's 2020 people's businesses are their babies. Like they, it is their livelihood. It is the most important thing to them. So yeah, we're going to get into some deep shit. And through doing that, we're going to be really vulnerable and we are going to connect with each other and it's going to be awesome. But I didn't know that. Right. I didn't put it that far deep. So, um, I think another thing is that by helping therapists, I'm also helping people who for the most part have the basic knowledge of how relationships work and these like theoretical concepts that I already have. So it is using a different side of my brain mm -hmm. than when I'm working with couples who still don't even understand what I statements are. <laughs> yeah. So when I'm working with these therapists on a more global scale, I mean, so you have to know that I'm obsessed with Seth Godin, right? Like yeah. he knows about me. Yeah. In his, he, one of his books, Tribes, has been, like I, I read Tribes after I had already created your badass therapy practice. So I created this thing, wanting to bring a bunch of therapists together, wanting us to go through this, like we have this common goal of making our practices so fucking amazing and like, thriving. Mm -hmm. And then I read Seth Godin's book tribes, which is how to do that. Like how to like the importance of creating a movement around an idea and bringing people together all with the common, a common goal and purpose. And then as the leader, basically taking a step back and allowing the tribe to like create the un unspoken rules mm -hmm. or like that has been so cool for someone who is pretty much obsessed with how relationships work because not only is it my relationship with each person, my relationship with the tribe, if you will, but also try like almost like looking at how my tribe members interact with each other in our group is really fascinating. I'm picturing you reading that book now and just like getting like 20 pages in and just like tossing it across the room and being like, I fucking did it. <laughs> well, it was it was very affirming because yeah. I would be like reading this stuff and he's like, and this is why it's important to not make yourself the center of the tribe. Like you want them to, like you have this common goal and purpose and you're guiding them and bringing them together and then you're kind of moving away to see what they do with this movement and how a group of a hundred people can take a movement so much further than an N of one. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, shit. Yeah, he's right. And so I would like start to experiment with different ways of interacting with the group. Like you've been in it for quite a while. So you may have noticed like there are times where I'm more engaged times where I'm less engaged. 
um, times where I'm taking more of a step back and then other times where I'm like all up in it. But all of that is very strategic. It's like, I want to know what happens when I interact in this way versus this way, or what happens when I don't at all, like what happens to the tribe. And I, it's so fascinating to see that whether I'm actively participating on a regular basis or not, the tribe is still strong. Right. That shit is cool because it's like, oh man, it's like I'm playing like a God in a very minute (laughs) microcosm way. Like, let's put this group of people together who share one common thing, but that's about it. And from that, they're going to connect on such a deeper way. And it's like just watching that happen. I'm like, fuck, can I paint or can't I? (laughs) Well, and it's, yeah, I feel like there is the just the one common thing in that we're all sort of therapists, but also the other piece of it, which is interesting because like you are really important for the sort of brand isn't really the word I'm looking for, but like it's sort Maybe of the like, culture. Exactly. The culture. It's like, okay, we've all sort of, we all have this sort of agreement that we're like, we like what she's about. We like her vibe. And if we like her vibe, we're probably going to like each other too. So the culture is so important. And then when you have created and cultivated a space with enough structure and the right kind of culture, that's when I feel like you can kind of like step back and watch what happens. Yeah. And it's just so cool to watch people truly helping each other, not because they're going to get something out of it, but it's just like, hey, I really love you, Valerie, and you're posting this question or wanting to like, or or like you actually posted something recently that was just like, hey, I just wanted to offer some encouragement to everyone who's not where I'm at yet. Like this is kind of a little bit about what my journey was. No one asked you to post that. You just kind of took it on yourself and you're like, hey, like, I'm a busy bitch, but I'm going to take five minutes and type up this thing and put it in this group. And it's like those, those posts reading that is like, wow, man, these people are encouraging each other. They're supporting each other. They're still cussing up a storm. <laughs> and it's like, it's just a really, I don't have a word for it. I keep saying like fascinating and cool yeah, and awesome, yeah. but it's like, magical. I don't think there's a word it's for magical. it. It is, it is, it is magical. Magical as fuck is what it is. Right, exactly. So um, nice little segue there to probably the last formal question that I want to ask, (laughs) which is sort of like part of what I want to explore in this podcast is all of this stuff that's sort of in the ether now and used to be more fringe, but is now sort of like almost mainstream of like, tarot decks and crystals and astrology and all of this stuff that I I feel like the word new age is sort of outdated at this point. But um, but how all of these things that still don't necessarily have uh, to varying degrees scientific validation and yet we're sort of using them more. We're sort of exploring like, well, we said the same thing about holistic and alternative therapies, and we know whether now scientifically or anecdotally, we know that they help, we know that they work, um, and yet there's still this very like science-minded part of me that's like, I literally am staring at eight crystals on my desk right now, and I'm like, <laughs> they just sit there because I think that they're pretty and they're from the earth, and that goes back to like, oh my god, they're they're here and they're a part of the earth and so am I. So they matter to me in that sense. But I'm like, I don't fucking know if I hold this thing, if it's going to give me anything. So um, 
again, picking apart your words a little bit to ask you this question, but when I sort of asked that before, you said, I'm too terrified to do tarot <laughs> or astrology or psychic <laughs> reading. I'm like, ooh, what are you terrified of? <laughs> That probably is a result. Actually, it's definitely a result, I think, of my, um, my Christian upbringing, like not knowing that it's not that those things were blatantly talked about. Like you, if you're a Christian, you can't do, you can't believe in astrology or use tarot cards or whatever, like salt crystals. It's not that it's like that overtly known. It's just like, maybe I have this fear of like, if I let me give you an example. So my husband's uh, paternal side of his family, so like uncle and um, or uncles, and there's some cousins, they once lived in this old house and they did some sort of like, my husband called it black magic, which I don't even know what the fuck that means. <laughs> but he said that they did some sort of black magic one night and it was not a Ouija board. Like it was like legit shit that they did. And they stirred something up to where wow. they had to end, ultimately move out of that house. What? Um, oh, my God. And I, yeah, it's not terrible. Like, this, the hair on my arms are, like, <laughs> sticking up. So it's not that I don't believe that those things could offer any sort of value. It's more that I have this, like, fear of, like, I don't know what I'm getting into if I were to my my students call it the woo-woo side. Right, right. Like, they tried showing me, like, the the astrology house, I guess, and they uh-huh. tried pointing out, like, where I am, like, Capricorn in the house of, like, Taurus or something and uh-huh. what that means. And it's, like, it's not that I just go, like, oh, that's stupid and, like, shrug it off. It's, like, I just don't understand it, and it, it does. It scares me. I don't. it must be something about like, okay, well, as a Christian, perhaps it's just that I believe God has these like ideas for me or these plans for me. And I also believe in like free will and living my own life. But there's just this part of me that's like, if I start getting into these like tarot card things, is that going to like pull me somehow away from God and into this like a dark space that I'm not meant to know about. <laughs> Interesting. As well, I say it, I'm like, this sounds so weird. <laughs> but I just, it's just maybe because I'm also like, I live in an area that is pretty like conservative all around. And so yeah. I'm also not exposed to that. Like, I think if I lived in like a really large metropolitan city where that is like much more prevalent the, the extent of those resources for me in my day-to-day life is if I drive to the like really scary part of town, there's like a shitty psychic sign outside some like store. <laughs> it's probably a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Like that's the extent of my um, immersion yeah. into that. So, so my students at your badass therapy practice who live all across the country in all different walks of life, like those are the only people who have ever really told me about this other world that I didn't know existed. Yeah. yeah. So that's so interesting. Cause I, you know, I said that, oh, well, this is like, it used to be French, but now it's like totally mainstream. And it's like, okay, in some areas, mm-hmm. sure. But in other areas, it's still not. And that even, even if you don't hold this belief 
of like, ooh, that's satanic, and if I do that, if I play with a crystal or do a tarot reading, I'm going to hell. Even if you don't hold that belief consciously, that there's still some like residual, like, eh, I don't know if we can mm -hmm. trust this. What is this getting into? Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's not like if I do it, then I'm sinning and going against God and I'm going to go to hell. It's not that. It's just like there, there's probably something there. But right. if I haven't yet learned about it, then I probably don't need to know about it. <laughs> and then there's this like, it's like that, um, I'm trying to think when you're like a little kid and maybe like I, I grew up with a very large backyard that backed up to a creek. And I remember my parents very clearly telling me, like, you can play in the creek, but you can't go, like, you can't walk down the creek to, like, another property and, like, go, like, you can't leave our backyard. So, like, play in the creek and that's cool and all. And so one day I was like, well, this creek must end somewhere. Nice. And so I must have been, I don't know, seven years old. And I'm, like, walking down the creek with a stick being, like, hey, I'm going to just see what's at the end of this. And I get like two miles down the creek and there's like a bus station and there's like strangers and I'm fucking terrified. It's like, <laughs> that's the feeling I get when people ask me about like tarot cards or these like what you call like new agey, but now mainstream concepts. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's the equi equivalent of my parents being like, all right, you can stay here, but like don't go down there because bad things can happen. It's like, that's me basically taking my stick and like walking down in the water of this creek, not knowing what the hell's on the other side of this thing. I love it. Well, and I think that that approach is actually, I really respect that because there's sort of like a reverence there of like, because mm -hmm. I don't just think that all this stuff is a bunch of bullshit, like hippie nonsense, because I think that there's probably something to it. I don't want to just like, you know, dip a toe in here and just like, you know, play with it. I want to know what it's really about. I want to understand it a little bit because I think that there's potentially some power and validity to it. Right. That's exactly it. It's not that I think it's just like complete and utter garbage. It's that I think it probably isn't, but I don't know what's on the other side of that creek. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just picturing like some kind of video series or blog series where it's like Laura goes to the psychic Laura goes <laughs> to get her tarot reading like oh my, oh my god that would be amazing maybe I just need to get one of those um like what is it it's not like a GoPro but basically where you just maybe it is a GoPro I just like walk yeah. around and go to these things and just like see what the fuck they tell me yes and then you just like watch me have an existential crisis in my closet <laughs> like rocking in the fetal position <laughs> and then I will know I have achieved my goal <laughs> oh yeah you shouldn't have been trusted all along right. circle back to that yeah love it cool well is there anything I know that a lot of what you have to offer um, folks who are not necessarily in your city and could do therapy with you is specifically made for therapists. So mm -hmm. there are probably some therapists listening, so you can mention that. But if there's just, yeah, anything else that you want to share about what you're up to or what you've got going on? Yeah, I mean, g going back to the whole ob obsession with relationships, pretty much my my day is either spent in session with couples or individuals doing therapy or it's spent 
on my computer doing a coaching call or running a group of other therapists helping them build their businesses. So it's like I live and breathe these like three specific topics all day long, but it all boils back down to relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like in terms of having an offer really, it's just, if you're a therapist and you're in private practice, I'm probably going to be your piece of cake. So long as you don't mind the F bomb being dropped on the regs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, also because I love relationship building, if anyone's listening and just wants to shoot the shit sometime, you can email me because I respond to every single email I get. And that is quite a feat. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I think that you get this a lot, but your emails, when I first signed up for them, I was like, oh, I want whatever. I don't even remember if you had probably some kind of like opt in, like, you know, put, give me your email and I'll send you this cool thing. Um, so I signed up and I was just like, oh, wait, like, I actually want to read these emails. I don't want to just like <laughs> look at the subject line and be like, Meh, never mind. Yeah, clickbait. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even that they're all bad. It's just like, there's so many that in order for me to really want to take the limited attention span that I have and actually read the whole email, it's got to be pretty compelling. So that's right. obviously one of one of your superpowers. Well, thank you for that. That's that's always the goal is trying to, because if if I just like write a bunch of shit, I'm not I'm not fulfilling my destiny of connecting with people, you know. Right. Totally. So I'm glad that that worked for you, and here I am on your podcast. So it all is like coming back around. It's happening. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And where can people find you online? Well, first, thank you for having me on. Yay. Um. They can find me at yourbadasstherapypractice.com. If you are in the Greenville, South Carolina area and you're wanting to shoot the shit with a really cool therapist, you can check me out at lauralongtherapy.com. And those are the two places where you're going to find me. I do not do the Twitter thing because I will just like scroll all fucking day and not get anything done. So I had to totally. I had to nix the Twitter and the Instagram for now. But um, I'm impressed. But- yeah. Well, I, I just had to. It was just like it was a problem. <laughs> scroll, yeah. scroll, scroll. I mean, it's like a damn. I mean, it's like I'm at a Las Vegas casino, totally. and I think it's probably why they do that, like <laughs> the scrolling effect. There's the fetal position again. I'm seeing you with your yeah. phone. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stop. Uh, well, for having me on, Valerie. I love the shit that you're putting out. This is yay, great. You too. All right. Have an awesome day. Yay.